Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're focusing on practical Christianity. Last week, we focused on the fact of one of the most practical things about Christianity is he teaches us the importance of prayer and praise. The importance of prayer and praise. And we saw three different times he speaks about the need to pray. Today, I want to take just one phrase that James uh, has, and I want to build on this because remember that this is a summation of all the truths that Jesus taught as well as in the Word of God regarding the power of prayer and how you have effective prayer. Listen to what it says here in chapter 5, verse 16. Here's what he said. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Here's what I want you to underline and I want you to focus on this morning. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer of a righteous person, a righteous one, can and will accomplish much. The King James says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. What I want to focus on today is whenever James makes the statement, he says, the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. What does he mean by an effective prayer? Amen? What does that mean? If an effective prayer of a righteous one accomplishes much, then we want to know what is and how do we effectively pray? Well, the first thing you need to know is that word effective. The word effective in the Greek language is the word energio, which is a word that we transliterate energy, E-N-E-R-G-E-O, or we use the word energy, E-N-E-R-G-Y. And so what it means is that a prayer that is energized, how do you get your prayer energized? And whenever your prayer is energized, then it has an effect to where it brings about great things and great things are accomplished whenever you pray. So what does it say in the Word of God that we're to do to energize or to have an effective prayer? I want to show you three things this morning in God's Word. The first thing it says, hold your hand here and turn back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, I want you to look at verses 13 and 14. This is what it says about an effective prayer. Listen. And whatever you ask, this is Jesus speaking, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So here's the first thing. The first thing about an effective prayer An effective, energized prayer is prayed in the name of Jesus. You need to write that down. You pray in the name of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you just tack on at the end of your prayer in Jesus' name. It's okay if you want to do that. But it means far more than just saying those words in the name of Jesus. 
What does it mean that we pray in the name of Jesus? Well, the first thing you have to understand is the Hebrew culture. The Hebrew culture, when it talks about the name of a person or the name of God, the aspect of that name is more than just how a person was identified, but rather it meant and signified a special relationship with that person, that individual. If that person knew the other person's name, they had a special relationship, a special relationship. And not only a special relationship, it was a sense that they had a power in that relationship because they knew that person's name. That's why it was so significant that when Moses was called out in the wilderness to go and to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, that when Moses was questioning about in that burning bush who it was talking to him, and God was giving him instruction about to, what to do, he said, well, when I go and talk to the children of Israel that are in Egypt, I'm nobody. Why would they ever hear me? If you want me to go, then tell me your name. Remember he said that? Tell me your name. And God graciously said, all right, I will tell you my memorial name. The memorial name I have is the great I am. I am that I am, or the word we sung in a song a minute ago, Yahweh. That word Yahweh is I am that I am. And God told Moses that because he wanted Moses to understand that he had a special relationship with him. What he was calling him to do was going to require a lot of things and a lot of faith. And he wanted Moses to understand he had that special relationship with God, but he also had a sense of power, and the power, the anointing of God was upon his life. Why? Because he was given the name of God. So see, the name of God or the name to a Hebrew was something very, very special. That's why Jesus is teaching them and saying, now listen, whenever you pray, you need to pray in my name. You need to pray in my name. That is how you have an effective prayer. That's how you have entrance into the place of prayer, the place of intercession, the place of the mercy seat. That's how you have opportunity to go because of my name. My name, what about his name? Well, that name represents the work of Jesus. It represents the person of Jesus. It represents that everything that Jesus did for us. And when he did that for us, he enables us to become one of those righteous ones. Remember, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And it's the name of Jesus and the work of Jesus and the grace of Jesus whereby we have the opportunity of being a righteous one because of what Jesus did for us. Let me show you what Jesus did. Hold your hand here in the book of James and flip back just in one book of the Bible. It's the book of Hebrews. And I want you to read and hear what it says in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 about what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? And whenever we call his name, this is signifying what he did. Here, first of all, in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse number 13, what it says. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been, have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 
Back up to verse 11. This is what he's talking about. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and bulls, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For who? For us. So what did Jesus do? Jesus was the sacrifice for sin. He died on a cross, and when he died on that cross, he shed his blood. And when he shed his blood, he opened the door of opportunity for us to have a relationship with God. And when we call the name of Jesus and we pray in the name of Jesus, we're saying we recognize that our only privilege, the only opportunity we have to be able to come into the presence of God, to be able to bring our petitions and intercessions, to be able to fellowship or even praise God, the only way we have access to that is because of the name of Jesus and all he did for us. Look at chapter 10 because it describes more about what he did. It tells us what to do. Verse 19. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, or a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. He said, the reason we can enter confidently into the holy of holies. Now, that was unheard of. That was unheard of. A Jew would have never imagined that they could have entered into the holy of holies. They were either on the outer court. If they were a Jew, they could go to the inner court. If they were a priest, they could go to that mid court. And then only the high priest once a year on the day of atonement could go to the holy of holies, representing the people. It was never thought of that a, that a regular person could enter into the Holy of Holies and approach the mercy seat of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, you remember what happened when he died on that cross? The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, which opened up the Holy of Holies. And it says because of his shed blood, we have the opportunity of entering in and going to that mercy seat and the opportunity of coming to praise him and to pray before him and to lift our petitions and intercession before him because of what Jesus did. When he shed his blood, he made us righteous. And because we're righteous, we can enter into the holy place and be there with God, and we can pray, and we can praise all because of what Jesus did for us. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying that we recognize that it is the gift of Jesus, it is the work of Christ, it is his sacrifice that allows me to lift up my petitions, to make known what I want to pray about, to offer up intercessions. It is all because of what Jesus did, and therefore I come in and only by his name. For he is the one who made me righteous. So the first thing that we learn about effective prayer is that we need to pray in the name of Jesus. We need to pray in the name of Jesus. And as I come in the name of Jesus, I am a righteous one. And therefore, I have opportunity to come and to pray and offer petitions before him. But that's not all. 
It also says in the Word of God that we should pray. If we're going to pray an effective prayer, we should pray believing. Turn your Bibles back to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse number 24. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. This is what Jesus says again about praying to him. Here it is. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray, here it is, ask for all things that you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they shall be granted you. What did he say? Whenever you're going to pray and whenever you're going to ask, whenever you make that petition, you make that request, you need to believe that you have already received them and they shall be granted to you. So what it takes to have an effective prayer is we need to pray a prayer of faith. A prayer of faith. That we believe that what we are going to say, what we're going to ask of God, that God is going to do that. Now, the question is, how do you have that kind of faith? And how do you have that kind of confidence? It's not that you get over in a corner somewhere and you coach yourself up. Boy, I've got to believe more. I've got to believe more. I'm going to go out there today and I'm going to have greater faith. And, and as I have great faith, God's going to do great things. It's, it's not really that. But rather you have confidence because of something that is going to take place and something that you're going to receive that's going to give you that confidence. That confidence to believe that what you're praying about is going to be answered. And how do you have that kind of faith? How do you have that kind of confidence? Where do you get that from? Well, look in your Bibles, or write it down at least, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. For this is what it says. For faith, that faith of believing God, for faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Hear that? That faith that we have that we need in order to have our prayers answered is given to us as we receive and hear the word of God. So how is it that I would have confidence? How is it that I would believe that what I'm going to ask is going to happen? Because I'm going to get into the word of God. I have a situation in my life. I have a situation in my family. I have a situation in our church. I have something that comes about. And we're needing to be able to pray. And we're needing to be able to pray with faith that God's going to do something. That God's going to work. So I get in God's word. That's why it is so important to be in God's word. It's important to be in God's word not just because you read your Bible daily. It's important to be in God's word because you need it daily. Because in your life, there are going to be circumstances and situations that you need to get a word from God so that you can believe, you can have faith that God is going to work. So what you do is you get the word of God and you begin to read the word of God and you begin to search for the answer of this situation that you're facing, that you're trying to believe God for. And as you get in God's word and you begin to read that, it says that God will bring his word alive. That's what that word rhema in, in Romans 10, 17 is. The word made alive, he'll bring it alive to your heart. He'll speak to your heart and he'll say, right here is a word of promise. Right here is a word that I give to you that I am going to work, that I'm going to move, that I'm going to answer that prayer, that what you're asking for is going to be held in your hands. God will speak to your heart. I'm here to tell you there's nothing more exciting in the spiritual journey than to have God speak 
speak to your heart about a promise from his word and to bring the word of God alive. There is power in that. So we study the word of God, we read that, and God's word comes alive, speaks to my heart, speaks to your heart. And whenever he speaks that to you and he speaks that to me, all of a sudden inside of our spirit, he births faith. It's called the grace of faith. The grace of faith is the gift of faith. The gift of faith that God gives to you and me. Where we might not have faith in ourselves, faith in our own ability. When God graces you with that faith, you can believe God because God has spoken to your heart. And our God never lies, amen? And our God who speaks to us and says this is going to be true, this is going to be a reality, it's going to happen for you. You're able to claim that, you're able to hold that. And now my confidence is not in my faith. My confidence is in the God who gave me the word. Amen? And the reason I have faith is not because of my ability to believe. The reason I have faith is because my confidence in the one who spoke the word to me. It's all based on God. I don't know if you realized about this, but God's work is God's work. Did y'all know that? I mean, God's work is God's work. So almost everything God's doing, he does it. He just lets us participate. He lets us be a part of it. He lets us touch the hem of the garment he allows us to be a part of that and that's what believing this prayer of faith is the fact you get a word from God God gives to you the gift of faith then you begin to practice that gift of faith based on the word of God and that prayer becomes effective energized and brings about a result because you're praying by faith and when you pray by faith that kind of faith allows you to say I have it even though I don't hold it I have it even though I can't see it. I have it because he's promised it to me, and it's going to be a reality. And boy, what a blessing that is whenever you journey in that faith. And then what happens in regard to that is God shows up. God does it. You get to hold it in your hand. You get to experience it, and you get to glory, and it builds greater faith. Not in you, but in the word of God and the promises of God. So an effective prayer is one that is prayed in the name of Jesus because of the work of Christ and the person of Christ and all that he's done. And and then it, it comes down to this matter of being able to pray in faith, believing that it's going to happen because we receive a word from God. Well, there's a third thing, and it's found in 1 John chapter 5, just a few pages over from James, 1 John chapter 5. And verse 14, here's what it says, listen. And this is the confidence which we have before God, before him. Listen now, that if we ask anything, here it is, according to his will, he hears us. Let me read that again, look at it. And this is the confidence that which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So the third thing is this. We need to pray according to God's will. 
according to God's will. When we pray according to God's will, it brings about effective praying or energized praying where God begins to move and work. It is important to pray according to God's will. Now, that's always a catch-all, isn't it? It's always, well, I knew there was some problem with my prayer. No, that's no problem. It simply means this, that if you're going to effectively pray and you're going to have energized prayer, you need to know what the will of God is. Amen? You need to know what the will of God is. So how do you know what the will of God is? Well, one way you know the will of God, here he goes again. Listen to this preacher. Listen to me. Here's one way you know the will of God. Read the word of God. Read the word of God. Because the word of God will reveal the will of God. So in a general sense, you can just read God's word and write down what God says is his will. You just write that down. And then whenever you begin to write down those principles and truths and statutes, commands, or whatever it is that he says is his will, then you've built a basis of how you can pray because you know that your father, that God said, this is his will. This is his will. And as I begin to pray about that, I know that I'm praying consistently with his will. So in a general sense, you need to be in the word of God to know what the will of God is in a general sense. But hold on a second. What about those particular times? What about that time that you don't know whether or not what I'm asking for or what is happening is really God's will? I don't have, it's not written down that this is God's will, but, but I want to know and I want to pray according to God's will. Once again, you get in the word of God. As you get in the word of God, God will speak to your heart. He'll speak to your heart about what his will might be. He'll reveal to you about what his will would be, okay? And as he reveals that and you know that it's according to his will and that this is consistent with his will, you have a position and a privilege to pray and therefore it becomes an effective, energized prayer, amen? Now, that also means this, that sometimes if we are praying and is not according to God's will, it's not going to be answered. All right, did y'all hear that? Sometimes if we pray and it's not according to God's will, it's not going to be answered. Because God's will is perfect, amen? And God's will's, God's plan is always perfect. We don't know what his plan is. We can't see it from beginning to end. But we trust him that he will put all the pieces together. And when we get to heaven one day and we see clearly, we'll know how all those pieces fit together, even though on this side we don't see very clearly. God's will is so very, very important. In other words, there are times whenever you're going to pray for something and you're going to ask for something and it's not going to be God's will for you to have that and therefore it's not going to happen no matter how much you pray. Because it's not only that you pray asking, it's not only you pray believing you're going to get it, not only if you prayed in Jesus' name, but it's got to be according to God's will. Let me give you two examples of where God did not answer prayer. One of those was examples was whenever David sinned against, with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah. You remember that? And Bathsheba became pregnant. And the judgment of God against David and Bathsheba in regard to that, and the prophet told him, says, that child, that child will die. You remember that? 
that child will die. That is a judgment of your sin. Now, somebody said, well, why did a child die? Well, don't worry about that child. That child was taken care of by God. He's in the bosom of Abraham. He is where God wants him to be, and he didn't suffer in this world very much that you do when you live your life and have all kinds of sufferings in this old world, all right? So don't worry about that child, but just think about it in relationship to David. What did David do when his child became sick? David went, he fasted, he prayed, he, he refused to eat, he begged God, he went before God, he's begging and begging and begging. Matter of fact, he was so deeply interceding that whenever the report came that the child died, his servants hesitated to tell David because they said, man, if he's grieving like this whenever the child's alive, what's he going to do when he dies? But when David hears them talking, he said, has the child died? And when the child, they said, yes, the child died, David gets up, washes his face, set something before him and he eats and his servants can't understand said we don't understand said why did you why did you pray and you were you were grieving and all this and now that the child has died you've washed your face and you begin to eat he says because i did not know whether god might have mercy and as long as he was alive and he was only sick i prayed for god to have mercy but it was not the will of the father to have mercy i cannot bring him back but i shall go to be with him right so that was a case where it was not God's will that this baby was going to live. Therefore, it didn't matter how much David prayed. It didn't matter how much he fasted. It wasn't going to happen. Here's another case in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said that whenever he had been elevated to the third heaven, he had seen things that no man could see. Because of that, he says, God had to buffet him to keep him humble. Hey, before you want to go to the third heaven, you better remember the thorn in the flesh might also come along with the third heaven just to keep you humble. Amen? And he says that there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, a thorn in my flesh. And Paul said, I ask of the Lord three times. I ask of the Lord three times. I think Paul's a pretty good guy. Don't you think so? I think he had a pretty good reputation. I think he had a lot of power in that. I think Paul probably, as far as a prayer, I would put him up there amongst. I prayed three times. I'm sure he needed to pray in the name of Jesus. I'm sure he prayed believing as much as he could at that particular point in time. But he prayed three times, and the Lord did not heal him. But the Lord says, but my grace will be sufficient for you. In other words, he wanted to be healed. He wanted the thorn in the flesh to be gone, but it was not the will of the Father that the thorn in the flesh would be removed from him because the thorn in the flesh was filling a purpose to keep him humble so he could stay useful in the kingdom of God. And therefore, it was never removed from him even though he prayed. Why? Because it was not according to the will of the Father. See, let me tell you, especially you young people, You've got a lot of decisions coming up in your life. You're going to decide who you're going to get married to and what your vocation is going to be and where you're going to live and all these kind of things. You've got all kind of choices you're going to make in your life. And when you're praying those things, and you, you're going to have some kind of idea usually about what you want, like who you'd like to be married to <laughs> or, or, or what you want to do. And this, you have all these things. You're going to pray about that, and you're going to pray about that, and pray about that. And do you know sometimes that person you thought that you're supposed to be married to or supposed to fall in love with you, that doesn't happen. And it's not because you didn't have enough faith, and it's not because you didn't pray in the name of Jesus. It's because it's not the Father's will. It's not the Father's will. Because the Father's got somebody for you, amen? Now, let me ask you a question. You think that you want the best you think you've got, or you want the best God's got? Let me help you with that. You want the best God's got. 
And therefore, trust him that whenever that one you think you want doesn't work out, he's got somebody better than that coming along the way, okay? Because God's not always going to let you have what you, what you want because he wants you in his will, according to his will. So very important. This passage in 1 John, very special to me. Very special to me because those verses of Scripture are the verses of Scripture that God gave to me when my dad was a lost man. He was a lost man. He, he never grew up in church. My dad was a good man, good provider, but he's a lost man. And, and the burden on my heart as I was a, a, a Christian and a young person was for my dad to be saved, my dad to be saved, my dad to be saved. Finally, somebody taught me about how to believe God and how to look for a promise in God's word, how to claim God's promise and get that word from God. And as you'd claim that promise and hold on to it, God would begin to work. It's an effective prayer. And I learned that. Well, one day in college, I was sitting there reading. I read in 1 John chapter 5, and I read those verses of Scripture regarding to pray according to God's will. And you pray according to God's will, God will hear it, and God will, for you, answer those prayers. And when I read that, God's Spirit spoke to me, and he says, there's your promise for your dad. There's your promise for your dad. I was so excited about that. I got next day. I got up and went and drove home from college to go tell my mom and my sister about the promise that God had given me about my dad. I never forget my mom. She said, "I don't know. <laughs> he's harder than he's ever been." My sister said, "I don't know." I said, "Well, I know. God has promised me regarding that." Well, a lot of things happened. It was a number of years later, but a number of years later, my dad. I had a chance to lead him to Christ, sitting in his office. And God was faithful to that promise. The neat thing about that, let me tell you, the neat thing about that is before I, before I received that promise, I was a preacher. And my dad, he came to watch me play football, you know, because he was a father and supported me. Do you know, when I, my dad was a lost man. When I preached, he came to li- listen to me preach. He, he'd, he'd travel everywhere to listen to me preach, even though he was a lost man. And, and I, I used to hold out invitations a long time when my dad was there. I mean, like 20 verses. Because I wanted my dad to respond. I wanted my dad to respond. Maybe this next verse my dad will respond. But after God gave me a promise about my dad, and God said, your dad's going to be saved, I never held out one verse any longer than what I felt like I ought to because I knew daddy's going to be saved. I told everybody everywhere, God, dad's going to be saved. My dad's going to be saved. Just doesn't know it yet. I told my dad that. I said, dad, you're going to be saved. I don't know, I don't know when it's going to be. You're just going to be saved. I said, you don't even have to have anybody preach to you. You've heard my, me preach enough. You know how to be saved. You may be at your business sometime, and God convicts you, and you fall on your face and get saved. I don't know when that'll be. I don't know. But you're going to be saved. Now, that wasn't my great faith. It's the fact I received a word from God. And I knew it was according to God's will, because it's not the will of the Father that any should perish. Amen? <laughs> and I knew the salvation was for my dad, and that God wanted my dad saved. So I was praying according to his will. And I understood that. So praying according to his will with the gift of the grace of faith, I'm claiming what God is going to do. And what a marvelous experience that was when I knelt by my dad in his office on that Monday night and heard my dad pray and asked Jesus to come into his heart. What he had said is going to happen, happen. That's effective praying. That has nothing to do with me. It has to do with praying in the name of Jesus. It has praying believing that what you're asking that God is going to do, and it's praying according to God's will. And see, those last two, praying in faith and praying according to God's will, they're just, they're just meshed together because they're both based on God's word. God's word, that whereby you get the grace of faith, amen? 
God's word, whereby you know the will of the Father. God's word, so that it meshes it together to make it an effective prayer. To pray in the name of Jesus, believing that what you're praying is going to happen, and praying according to the will of the Father. Now, the neat thing is, is next week. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about Elijah. Because he goes to Elijah after that. It's like, he, like when James is saying, he says, let me talk to you all about this effective praying. Let me talk to you about what it takes to, to pray and, and for, for it to accomplish much. And then he brings up and says, let me give you an illustration. Let me give you an illustration of somebody who was an effective prayer. Amen. And he says his name was Elijah. His name was Elijah. But this is how he introduces that. Look in your Bible there. He says, Elijah was a man like unto ourselves. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that Elijah is just like you. See, too often we elevate people like, well, Elijah was this spiritual great super saint of God. And those super saints of God, those people elevated, they can pray and God will answer their prayer, but not us. When you're, when you're down here with us, I mean, we just pray, but God really doesn't answer our prayers. You know what James says? He answered Elijah's prayer and Elijah was just like you. He had a nature just like you. Elijah, we're going to see next week, had some great days, powerful days, anointed days, and then he had some pretty rough days when he was running and hiding and begging to die and afraid of Jezebel and everything else. Do you have some good days? Do you have some bad days? <laughs> See, you're just like Elijah, and Elijah's just like you. But here's the difference. Elijah was just like you, but he was an effective prayer. He was an effective prayer because of those three things, and we'll talk about that. Because of his relationship with God and the name of God being upon him, he had the privilege to pray. And because he received a word from God, he had the faith to pray. And because he received that word from God, he knew whether it was the will of the Father for it to hold rain for three and a half years or for it was time for it to rain because he knew the word of God. So Elijah is the illustration of the principle. Elijah is the example for you and me. So if it's easier for you to understand an illustration that is a principle, you need to be back next week, amen? You need to be back to understand and see it in his life, how those three principles made him an effective prayer. For what purpose? Because James wants us to be effective prayers. Don't you want your prayers energized? I mean, you don't want them to just fall off your lips. You want them to reach the throne of heaven, amen? You, you, you don't want just to speak words. You want the power of heaven released in this world. And you want the power of God moving. How does that? Because you have an energized prayer. Doing it the way Jesus said to do it. Understanding why it was important that he said to do it this way. And I'll tell you this. Most of us need more effective praying. And our world today needs more effective prayers for what we face and where we are. Amen? So he will be the example 
of those principles. What about you? You pray in the name of Jesus. If you cannot pray in the name of Jesus because you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you have to take that first step. That first step is that you have to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ where you can enter into the holy place. And if you've never done that, you need to give your heart to Jesus today. Our staff's going to be in here in the front to help you. We'll not embarrass you anyway. We're going to help you to know how to give your heart to Christ. I promise you. Maybe you're here and you've accepted Christ, but you need to be baptized. You've never professed your faith publicly. We invite you to come and profess your faith publicly here today. Or what about you, child of God? What about you? How effective is your prayer life? Maybe you need to affirm again, I want to pray in the name of Jesus. I want to pray by faith. I want to get in the word of God so I know the will of God and I know the word from God that I can be effective in my prayer life. Maybe you need to make a fresh commitment to this, to energize your prayer life to make it effective. Maybe you're here, you've been praying about a church home and God's spoken to you. He wants you to be a part of the Parker family. We welcome you. We'd love for you to come and join our fellowship. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.